Hey everyone, it's Clarissa here from the Thriving Through Menopause podcast. You know, as I talk to women around the world, I know that more than ever, we're looking for holistic ways to manage our menopause and to feel empowered that we're in control of our own health and healing during this vital life transition. I sit down each week with amazing guests to talk about ideas, strategies, approaches and opportunities to help us thrive through menopause. Episodes drop every Tuesday, so I hope that you'll join us. And I have a little request for you, that if you find value from the stories, lessons and wisdom that we share, I'd like you to support this podcast. One way you can do that is to hop on to wherever you listen to podcasts, like and subscribe and share it so that others can hear the messages too. You might want to buy me a coffee to help me keep this podcast up and running. And I'd love you to subscribe to my newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Don't forget, episodes drop every Tuesday and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of this community, listening to this podcast, and I hope that you enjoy the new content that's coming up in this new season. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and I'm excited to talk about a holistic approach to menopause with my guest today, Dr. Bill Rawls. Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, Bill. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. I mean, you are a licensed physician, a certified, board certified OBGYN, but you've got a real uh, expertise and passion for holistic and herbal um, approaches to helping women in menopause, but also people in generally stay well. I'd love for us just to open that up and talk about your own journey, because it was your own journey that brought you to this alternative or exploring alternatives. Yeah, yeah, sure. I I went into obstetrics and gynecology as a specialty after medical school just because it was much more focused on wellness, health, and less focused on you know heavy pharmaceuticals for for, for managing chronic illness. Um, and there was a lot of joy in just bringing a baby into the world. But when I was doing, when I started that 30 years ago, it came with, uh, the obligation of hospital call, um, being on call for labor and delivery in the emergency room every second to third night. And it was a busy practice. I was essentially up, um, every second to third night and every second to third weekend, like from Friday morning until Monday morning. Um, if you can imagine, a lot of times sleep was scattered through all of those call times. Trying to balance that community, everything else was uh, highly stressful. And so, yeah, I, I ended up losing my health uh, around my late 40s. Um, First identified with fibromyalgia, uh, later I found that I was carrying some of the microbes associated with Lyme disease, tried a conventional route to recovery, just got worse, ended up doing herbal therapy, and long story short, got my health back, got my life back, and really just changed my life completely. 
And even before that, you know, I was always leaning toward um, encouraging people to have a better diet, better lifestyle, you know, but even in there, you know, I was encouraging those things and not doing them myself because the situation didn't allow it. Um, I, I was, you know, even managing menopause very early on, I gave up standard pharmaceuticals and leaned more toward bioidentical preparations. And later, after discovering herbs, started using a lot of herbs in my practice. I stopped doing obstetrics after that health crisis, but continued doing primary care, more like what we would define as functional medicine and also um, yeah, continued gynecology, but in a different way and looking at it very differently. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that second chapter of my life has been pretty extraordinary. I really enjoyed it. That's a wonder, that's a wonderful story. And I love, I love that. So, I mean, that's not an uncommon story for many of us to meet some sort of crisis in midlife and really shift our direction. And, and I've, now you're very focused also on things like cellular wellness. I would love to know what cellular wellness, and I'm sure my 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 listeners are, are curious about that because I know that's one of the emphasis areas for yourself. Sure. Well, you know, it, it's so simple for me now. I mean, it's, it's like I'm so immersed in this idea that it's, it's kind of, it's just a no-brainer, but in the same respect, it took me 30 years to get there. And it boils down to this, you know, we tend to look at the body um, for its functions, you know, and we divide things up, we compartmentalize things, you know, we have pulmonologists and cardiologists and gastroenterologists and all these specialties. And, but if you really want to simplify anything, take it down to its smallest functional unit. And for the human body, that is a living cell. So everything that happens in your body is a function of cells, whether that's thyroid hormone being produced, heart beating, uh, muscles firing when you walk across the room, brain impulses, uh, ovarian functions. It's all cellular. Absolutely everything that happens in the body is cellular. And hormones are you know, pulling all those cellular functions together with the brain overseeing that and being in charge, but it's all cellular. And so when you look at health from that point of view, from the point of how do you keep your cells healthy and what your cells need, it really starts to simplify everything pretty remarkably because every cell in the body needs five basic things. And if they get those things you know, over, uh, overall, you're going to have good health, but cells need the right nutrients. Now that varies, like thyroid cells need iodine to produce thyroid hormones. Heart cells use, burn uh, fat more than carbohydrate. Brain cells, the opposite. But if you're eating a whole food diet, your cells are going to get that. Your cells need a clean environment. And you know, that's a big issue right now because of all the petrochemical pollution, all the chemicals that are in the environment. These things basically compromise our cells, compromise so our cells can't do their job like they should. Um, cells need good blood flow. Um, 
to wash away toxic waste and pull away metabolic waste and deliver nutrients and oxygen. And so you got to move. Um, so that every day just moving that, uh, you know, that, that, that thing we've lost that we sit in front of computers all day is really important for keeping our cells healthy. Our cells need downtime and some cells like our heart cells rest in between beat, but most of our cells need a good, long, good night's sleep to recover from working all day. And then our cells need protection from microbes. And that's a big one that we're more cognizant of with recent COVID. But the fact of the matter is every minute of every day, things are crossing into our system that threaten our cells. And if you don't have good defenses, if your cells aren't healthy, your immune system isn't healthy, then your cells are going to be compromised. And that is a topic in itself. Yeah. Um, I find that there's a microbe component with virtually every chronic illness. Um, and, you know, we're getting deeper and deeper into that. You know, we're starting to see that possibly even things like endometriosis, premature labor, things like that probably have a microbe component and that's driving it. And so when we start understanding things at the cellular level, obviously what you need to be healthy is a good diet that nourishes all your cells, a clean environment to live in, um, you know, regular exercise, downtime with a good night's sleep, and then protection with microbes and, and extra, more than you just get. And that's that's a big part of what herbs do because all yeah. herbs have antimicrobial properties. If you're doing those things, it doesn't matter what your risk for certain illnesses or whatever, chances are you're going to be healthy. Yeah. And it's really as simple as that. And um, it's pretty fascinating. But when you look at what we do in conventional medicine, what we're doing is treating the manifestations of illness. Yeah. We're treating symptoms. We're treating inflammation. We're treating hormone imbalances with drugs and everything else. But we're not getting to the cellular stress, the factors that are distressing our cells and causing symptoms. So people never get well. No. So it's really a very different way of looking at things. Yeah, and it feels when you say that, I mean, for me, I think that's very intuitive, those five. They, they, but you're absolutely right. We're just seeing medicate away, and I see that as you do too, probably in the menopause world. Just get rid of the symptoms. Here's hormone therapy, it has its place, but the emphasis on lifestyle is and this base cellular wellness is, is absent in the conversation. Yeah, it really is. And you know, I, and I get it, nobody wants to suffer with symptoms. Um, you know, we all want to just go into the doctor's office and say, hey, give me something, make this go away because I'm tired of dealing with it. But the fact of the matter is when you are artificially manipulating your system to reduce a symptom, you're going to cause a lot of other things that, to, to, that are disruptive. And suppressing the symptom without addressing the factors that are driving the symptom aren't going to result in wellness. And I learned that the hard way. I mean, my whole body was falling apart. I didn't have just one symptom. I had severe heart symptoms, brain symptoms. My joints were falling apart. My whole body was falling apart. And throwing medications, every single medication had side effect. And I finally got beyond all of that. Um, 
Now, I see a place for medical therapy in early stages of any illness because that can have a stabilizing effect. You know, if you've got really bad symptoms of pain or, or can't sleep or whatever, um, reducing those symptoms early on can be an important part of the recovery process. But if you're not addressing those driving forces, you're not going to get well. No, and I think we are at a quite a vulnerable juncture, aren't we, in the perimenopause, menopause years, where it's very easy for our body to tip into long-term yeah. illness of cardiovascular disease, issues with osteoporosis, insulin resistance, and all that that brings with diabetes uh, risk. Yeah. I mean, so really getting to the root causes is critical, isn't it, in, in these years? Yeah, it, it is. And, and you hit a tipping point. Um, you know, what happens in menopause for a lot of people is a lot of things have been building up. What, what I define as cellular stress, right? Um, so part of the aging process is we lose functional cells as we go through life and our cells lose energy. So that's adding up. And so we're adding these, this subtle cellular stress or say, you know, we're not eating a good diet. We're not sleeping like we should. We're not getting the exercise. We've got, you know, low grade microbes that are accumulating in our tissues and our cells. And, and these things are all adding up. And then you throw on menopause, that natural cessation of menstrual function that drops estrogen levels. Well, every cell in the body has estrogen receptors. So, you know, it's, it's all cells are, are sending messages and receiving messages because that's what hormones do. You know, they coordinate cellular functions. So all the cells in the body have to know what's going on. And so when you lose that ability, basically because the ovaries run out of cells to produce estrogen, you know, if these things have been accumulated through a person's life, it just throws everything into a tailspin. And, um, and it can be pretty catastrophic in a person's life. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of us, like you said, we are entering this phase of life often with an insufficient uh, type of diet. Yep. I mean, the modern American, the modern Western diet does nothing much to support good nutrition today with ultra-processed right. foods. And I, you know, I've quoted this before in this show, but a recent study in the UK showed that almost 60% of midlife women didn't move at all within the space of a week. They didn't exercise at all. And so yeah. how can the blood flow to the cells be correct in that state? Yeah, it's true. You know, I mean, historically, humans have always moved this concept of going to the gym or going to exercise is really very foreign to us. We, because, you know, I, I, I mean, we live in an age of machines and machines do all the work and we do the work of managing the machines or making the machines or selling the machines, but the machines are doing it. And so it's, uh, without that, that incentive to get out and move, but it used to be, whether it was making your own food or just, you know, everything required a certain amount of labor. And we've always done that. So this very sedentary lifestyle is extremely foreign to us. And you know, it's, it's just something that you have to get beyond. Um, it's so important. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, you, you hit on that point there, Bill. I mean, I think of my own grandparents and how much physical they work they did around the house and, and property. I mean, you know, laundry day wasn't open a thing, press a button, or even use your mobile oh. to operate your right. washing machine. And then you move it from the washer to the dryer. I mean, that involved scrubbing and rubbing and moving and hanging and walking to the line and a whole host of things that we don't, we just don't do today, even a simple task like that. So, so yeah. It's, um, you know, and there's a good bad side of it. Um, I mean, I see my life now as I am free to do things that I enjoy. Like I'm probably going to drop a kayak in the water this afternoon and go for a couple of hours paddling. And I, I, you know, and that is so soothing to me. Um, and my, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be cluttered with doing the laundry and all these things that, that machines do. And it, it allows me to do that. So, but it really, it's, you have to make that choice. You have yeah. to, you know, set aside the time to really get those things done. Yes. So when we when we then think about this need for cellular wellness, how does that translate into a modern therapeutic approach to managing perimenopause and menopause? Yeah. Well, it you know anything you can relate to cellular health, right? So. I've made the observation, I mean, I've literally counseled thousands of women through menopause, and I've always made the observation, if someone up front has a history of good health habits, they, they, they exercise regularly, they have a good diet, they get decent sleep at night, all of those things, they're typically going to have a much more comfortable transition than people who do not. Um, so health habits are really important. And so even if you haven't been doing that, any effort that you can make to improve your health habits is going to help um, uh, get you through that time. Um, but when we look at this concept of cellular health, which is so important no matter what you're talking about, um, the herbs are really important because herbs do things that not really anything else can do. And when I started using herbs in my practice, that accelerated people's wellness. You know, even if they hadn't had good health habits, any efforts they might make would make a difference. But using herbs made an enormous difference. Now, I moved away from traditional, you know, after, after I had it, such an extraordinary experience, I had this experience, uh, you know, I, I, I went back and studied traditional Chinese medicine like, like you practice and Ayurvedic medicine. And I think all of those things have extraordinary um, benefits, but they were observational. You know, it was more, here's how we use these herbs for this particular situation. So my fascination was really studying how the chemistry of the herbs is affecting us at the cellular level. And what I discovered was how herbs work. Very, this is really important. How herbs work is the chemistry of the herb, you know, when it, what, what you're doing is taking this complex chemistry from a plant that the plant is using to protect its cells, to neutralize free radicals and toxic substances and fend off microbes of every variety. 
but also balance cellular functions. So plants have to coordinate cellular function inside the plant. And they use chemical messengers that are very similar to what we use. So when we take that plant, when we take that herb, we're getting all that. So it's protecting ourselves from free radicals and, and, and toxic substances and microbes of every variety, but also helping to balance and coordinate our cellular functions. Different herbs, different plants grow in different environments, so they're handling those stress factors slightly differently. So when you look at traditional Chinese medicine formulas, those are herbs that work in synergy with one another. But what we're doing is, you know, we're, we're taking that complex chemistry from that, these plants and using it for accentuating that concept of cellular wellness. So exactly what herbs are doing and what drugs are not doing, very specifically, is protecting ourselves, coordinating cellular functions, and, and, and restoring normal within our body. So it has an extreme amount of value, whether you're talking about menopause or anything else. Yeah. So there are some very good herbs for menopause. Um, and uh, one atop of my list, I'm sure you know, is ashwagandha. Yeah. That's more from Ayurvedic yes. medicine. Um, but also things like rhodiola um, and many of our adaptogens, uh, ginseng, mm -hmm work fabulously well for menopause. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're herbs that balance stress hormones. Basically what they're doing, they're giving feedback to the hypothalamus, which is basically our, our thermostat that, you know, runs our, our, our thyroid metabolism, our stress, uh, our adrenal glands and our ovaries. So, you know, if you, when you're affecting that hypothalamus, you're balancing all those functions so it helps reduce that stress. Yeah. yeah, they are really amazing. And you said that, I mean, they are often in, in Chinese medicine, which I'm more familiar with than, than Ayurveda. They are definitely synergistic herbs so that some of them are working yep. on some aspects and others are working on others. They work in harmony and balance. balance. So it's very um, complicated systems compared to some Western herbal medicine where there tends to be the use of a single herb, although that can be very effective too, can't it? But. Yeah. Well, I, I typically like formulas anywhere from five to a dozen herbs and finding things that complement. Um, what I found, an interesting observation of just looking at the world's herbology, though, is that you find similar plants or even the same plants all across the planet. So species of magnolia and philodendron that are, uh, that are used in traditional herbal medicine in China, we find similar species here. Um, rhodiola, which is, uh, grows primarily in Siberia and, 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 and uh, northern reaches of China that was part of traditional Chinese medicine. Um, also, we found it growing in the Appalachians of, of North Carolina. Um, so, so there's a lot of similarities in plants. And so no matter what herbal uh, uh, tradition that you're talking about, you're going to find similar things. Yeah. And, and so 
they're all good. Um, yeah. And they're all acting very, very differently than, than how drugs are. Yeah. They're working in synergy with the body rather than, and, and, and working like our body would work if it was functioning right, rather than kind of papering over um, the yes, symptoms. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. I love that too. I'm a huge person, who, lover of herbal medicine for myself. Um, and use them. And I notice the difference, how quickly you can turn somebody around or a condition around just from using oh, yeah. using yeah. these. But differently than a drug. Yeah. You know, drugs work very fast because they are basically immediately interrupting whatever pathway is related to a symptom. But it's all artificial and it's not going to ultimately restore that cellular balance and cellular stress that you want. So, yeah, the herbs take a little longer, yeah. but because they are actually promoting healing, yeah. um, then it's, it's, uh, it's a different kind of thing yes. for sure. So women also then clearly do take hormone therapy. How does herbal medicine work with uh, HRT? Are they compatible or, or not? Um, absolutely. And that's something that I found in my practice. So, you know, originally I, when I came out of training, I was writing prescriptions for, um, very potent, uh, estrogens, uh, typically a product called Premarin and others, um, and quickly found that people had a lot of side effects with them and didn't tolerate them well switched over to what is defined as bioidentical hormone therapy, more widely used in Europe, unfortunately. Um, these in the United States, and I assume in Europe, it's, it's mostly um, administered through compounding pharmacies. So we use combinations of estrogen. Um, there's one, estradiol is the main estrogen produced by the ovary. It's very potent. I typically combine that with a weaker estrogen called estriol at about a 50 to 80% ratio. Uh, different products come out in different ways. Um, but what the estriol does, it, it has this effect of competitive inhibition. It ties up estrogen receptors so more potent estrogens don't stimulate those receptors, but it doesn't stimulate them as much. So you get an estrogen effect, but it's just not as potent. And, and there were some limited studies showing that it actually decreased risk of breast cancer, um, not unlike some of the other estrogen preparations. And I found that just people tolerate, tolerated it better, especially if it was administered topically. Um, and you always combine that with natural progesterone just to reduce the, um, the effect on the uterus. But in low doses, that was really good stuff. Um, but, but a lot of times, using very low doses, it wasn't enough to con completely control symptoms, especially early on. So that's where later I started using herbs. And my favorite combination is uh, ashwagandha, a potent botanical extract of ashwagandha. Um, two Chinese uh herbs from Chinese medicine, a philodendron and magnolia species, and then an element from green tea and a, 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 
uh, an amino acid called L-theanine that has this really nice calming effect. Um, that can be combined with other herbs. Um, in perimenopause, an herb called Vitex is really wonderful for just uh, normalizing periods. Shatavari can be very useful sometimes for uh, helping libido. Um, and combining these various herbs, often that would help control, that would be enough to control hot flashes and other menopausal symptoms, uh, make someone much more stress tolerant. Um, now, there are other combinations that you could use, but that's just a couple that I found to be very, very beneficial in my practice. And, you know, if someone was paying attention to their health habits and, and doing other kinds of things, that may be all they need. Yeah. But with that really low dose of estrogen, um, and sometimes with a really, really low dose of testosterone, um, that could be enough to maintain someone indefinitely, even, um, you know, as, as long as they wanted to go to help protect bones, to maintain vaginal tissues, to maintain libido, but without, without increasing uh, risk of breast cancer and other kinds yeah. of cancers. And that you're keeping those bioidentical hormones at quite a low level then. Um, compared with what we oh, see yeah. being prescribed. And, and, of course, there's been a big scandal of overdosing in the UK, yep. which, of course, has tipped yep. a lot of women into ill health. But you're really about yep. low dosage and, and herbal combinations. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the pellets. Um, I think the, the dosage is just too high. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people like them because it really does help with symptoms, but I worry about the long-term effects uh, uh, that it's going to have. Yeah. And, and when we're on a preparation, like a herbal preparation, um, roughly how long would women stay on them or can they stay on it indefinitely? A really low dose, I think indefinitely. And, you know, when, and you know, we, we don't have the kind of rigorous uh, scientific studies that, you know, I, I mean, when you look at a drug, there's so much money involved that there is more money to invest in studies, which can be very, very expensive. Um, when you're talking about compounded preparations, there's just not enough money to do large-scale studies to make definite conclusions. So you have to fit together little pieces of evidence. So smaller studies, plus looking at the chemistry of what these hormones are doing at the cellular level to breast tissue, to, uh, to uterine tissue, and, and how they're affecting that. And, you know, so years of practice and looking at these accumulation of small studies I have confidence in saying that even long term with with very low doses that the the risk increase uh especially when you combine it with herbal therapy the risk increase of breast and 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 uh, uterine cancer is very very low yeah. and that the benefits to bones and tissues and general well-being are are worth that yeah. so it's it's a it's a benefit to risk uh, decision that I can't tell you that the risk is zero, but I think that the, you know, from all the science that I've looked at, the, 
benefits are greater than the risk for most people. And I, I, you know, I, I think it's a decision that people need to make with their provider, you know, do, and that risk assessment may be different for other people, you know, strong history of breast cancer or, or having BRCA genes or that sort of thing may influence that and in a different direction. But, um, but still, you know, I, I think it does give us some good foundation for the majority of people out there. Yeah. And especially as we're using the herbs in there to really get that baseline wellness coming on online. So we're sort of dialing down the symptoms and making life more manageable and protecting long-term health. But then you've really got the cellular wellness building up through the herbs. No, no doubt about it. And that's the key right there. And, you know, so we, again, we don't have any large scale studies looking at risk, but the big risk that everybody's worried about is cancer. Does it increase my risk yeah. of breast cancer or uterine cancer? And so there's that one question with the hormones alone, but you know what, we don't have any big studies of looking at estrogen with herbs, but we do have this information that Every herb I've ever studied, every herb that they look at, they found find strong anti-cancer properties. So whether you're talking about ashwagandha, magnolia species, or anything else, you're going to find anti-cancer properties there. And I recommend just a spectrum of herbs on a daily basis. I mean, I typically take rhodiola and turmeric and, and other kinds of herbs just to maintain my health all of which have potent anti-cancer properties. Yeah. Why do they have anti-cancer properties? Because they protect cells. And when cells become damaged a certain way, they become cancerous. Yeah. And I think, you know, there is a very strong microbe component there too. And all herbs have anti-cancer properties. Again, are the microbes that we have found to be associated with cancer. Yes. So... You know, the herbs have such a tremendous op value for protecting against cancer and other chronic yeah. illnesses. You throw that variable in there and, and it increases the confidence even more. Yes, of course. And I think we can be taking those as separate preparations, but we can also be using herbs in our food much more widely. Um, oh, yeah. And that itself is a very easy and natural way for us to increase the herbs, herbs we take in, spices that we take in with, with all their positive property. Absolutely. You know, I throw as many culinary herbs in my food as I can get. But one thing I would say, I always add this in, I think it's really important. When you look at our foods, um, certainly a whole food diet is important. Eating lots of vegetables is very important. But what's missing from our diet is these phytochemicals, these protective chemicals that we're getting in herbs. And the reason is because we cultivate our foods to produce calories, not protective phytochemicals. Yeah. So we've really cultivated these protective, the, pride, the ability of the plant to defend itself against all of these things. We've cultivated those things out of our food plants. So even healthy foods like celery and broccoli and other kinds of things that I do recommend and try to eat myself, they're still not going to have the same value no. as wild plants. No. So what we're getting from herbs is wild plants, this rich 
protective system that just isn't in our food anymore. Yeah. And I and I think we we recognize that we've gone to mass food production, haven't we? And and therefore monodiversity. And so and, sure. and we use lots of Roundup and other things, which takes away the plant's need to have its phytoestrogens. But the long term damage Absolutely. on our health is I think yet to be seen. Maybe it's emerging now, but in the in the next generation, we're seeing a generation of people that haven't maybe eaten the plant diversity or the animal diversity that we or our previous generations yeah. have. Yeah. I think we're at a tipping point. I think the world has changed more in the past 20 years than it has in several hundred years before that. And I think it's going to change more in the next five years than all of that time. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's everybody is starting to pay attention to global warming. What global warming does is it, it affects human health in many ways beyond just more heat yeah. um, with, and, and other factors. With, you know, it's coming from petroleum and we're putting all these petrochemicals in the environment at a greater and greater rate. Um, yeah, it, it is going to affect us. And, you know, I, I tell people, you know, where you live, how you go about life makes a difference. But I see herbs as one of the best and biggest ways to protect us than anything yes. else we can do. Yes. And I think just being recognizing that we can get herbs that we buy in to put into our foods, but also that there are quite a lot of herbs in our environment, aren't there? We forget about those oh, dandelions, sure. uh, leaves, and those bitter roots and herbs that actually exist in our gardens. And we've forgotten, we've lost that tradition to forage and pick those. We do. And certainly I didn't grow up with it, but I have, uh, you know, I, I go, I, I do a lot of walking in the forest and the woods and yes, I'm careful about ticks, but um, I'm out in the nature a lot and I've learned all my plants and there are poisonous plants okay. out there that can make you sick, but there aren't that many of them. And there's so many plants. If you take a walk through the woods uh, anywhere on earth, half the plants that you see actually have benefits to offer you. They do. There's a lot more good out there than anything oh, else. Oh, def definitely. I'm, I'm a big fan of foraging. I forage a lot where I live. It's still very common to do that here in Scandinavia. It seems to be embedded in our culture. And, um, you know, it's amazing what you can come home with that's good good for you that oh, hasn't yeah. been sprayed or or touched by human hands you don't i don't really wash it i just eat it <laughs> unless there's grit yeah, there yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm right there with you it is not something that is well uh that that is common here in the united states but um it's something that i've embraced in, indeed so i mean if we're looking at women then come to you and they say i'm struggling with menopause symptoms you would be looking at herbs, diet, movement, the whole, the whole approach, Bill, if I've got that right. So your frontline approaches. Absolutely. You know, I mean, that's, uh, call it uh, holistic health. Um, I call it cellular health. It's really taking care of your cells. Um, that, uh, you know, but looking at things from the point of view of what your cells need to keep your cells healthy is that's what it's all about. Yeah. 
that that's what we all should be doing. Yes, and it, and it is within our reach and our capability to do that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love this conversation, and I think we could talk herbs all day, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I would love to know how my listeners can find out more about the work you do, connect into the books you've written. Um, tell me. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, my latest book is called The Cellular Wellness Solution, and it's about the concept of cellular health. Um, it's a big, thick book, but don't let it intimidate you. It's like four books. So one book is that cellular wellness concept. Another, the second book in there, or the second part, is a primer on herbal medicine and looking at it from the point of view of how this complex chemistry affects our cells. So, um, and everybody tells me that the book is easy to read. So I've really taken a lot of time to make it readable. The third part is just what everybody needs to be doing on a daily basis to stay healthy. And then the fourth is applying the those principles to uh, other situations, cardiovascular health, gut health, um, menopause, uh, andropause in the case of men. Um, so it's got a lot of information. Um, I am actually, we have a supplement company here in the United States. I'm medical director for vitalplan.com. And uh, we produce the highest quality products that I can make us do. Um, so, you know, the quality and potency of the products is really important to get an effect. So we want things that people will have benefit from. Um, and I mainly work through that. I do some consults. I'm working on a course, a wellness course. So I've always got stuff going on. <laughs> that sounds so wonderful. Bill, we were going to put that... Um, in the show notes. And, and I'm like, oh, good, there's a book, Selling the Wellness. I'll be reading that <laughs> myself. And I'll be encouraging you, my listeners, to do that too. Bill, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest on my show, sharing so much passion oh, and knowledge that is supportive to women who are going through this menopause trip. Well, thank you so much. I do appreciate the opportunity. Well, I don't know about you, but that for me was a truly fantastic menopause conversation. I love how the conversation around menopause is now becoming much more integrative. It's becoming this combination of knowing that there are real benefits from Western medicine, but that's not 100% the answer, but that when we combine it with ancient wisdom, we can truly make a difference to our health and our well-being in menopause and in many other aspects of our lives. Next week, I'm going to be joined by functional nutritionist and wellness practitioner, Jennifer Woodward. We're going to be talking about HRT, our diets, and the importance of coping with stress in perimenopause and menopause. So I hope you'll join me. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week. In the meantime, go well. <laughs>